Past, present, future, live. In-depth conversations and exclusive live performances featuring some of the most dynamic artists from the world of contemporary music. From Osiris Media, this is Past, Present, Future Live. I'm your host, RJB. This week, we bring you an interview with Cautious Clay. He grew up in Ohio and started playing flute and saxophone at an early age, moved to D.C. for college, and started making beats and producing remixes. In 2015, he did a remix of Billie Eilish's Ocean Eyes, which is a break that set him on his current path. He's put out three EPs and has collaborated with John Mayer and had a song sampled by Taylor Swift. His soulful voice and his creative mix of hip-hop, R&B, and experimental music will be front and center on his new album, which will come out in the next couple of months. After the interview, you'll hear an exclusive live performance from Cautious Clay. And as always, there's a Spotify playlist for this episode in the show notes. And before we get into it, we want to ask you a quick favor. We're having a lot of fun doing this show, and we hope you're enjoying it. If you enjoy what we do, please consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps other people discover the show, and we really appreciate you spreading the word. Now here's my interview with Cautious Clay. All right, I'm here with Josh, better known as Cautious Clay. Hey, Josh. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for taking the time. It's good to uh, good to talk to you. Likewise, likewise. Yeah, this is a really fun show, so I'm excited. Cool. Thanks. And and before we started recording, um, Josh and I are both from Ohio, and we're in D.C. at the same time. So there's some crossed paths there, but there's a lot to explore. And Josh, I guess I, I want to start by going all the way back and asking you if you have an earliest musical memory. That's a great question. I feel like I can never quite remember. I would say. There, there's like a few musical memories. I think that there's, there's one in particular where I always remember hearing this song. I can't even remember the artist, but I can remember the song if I've heard it. It's one of those situations where my mom was playing some vinyl record in my mm-hmm. basement, and I must have been maybe five years old. And I just remember, I remember feeling kind of scared actually of the music that was playing and that was like my first reaction because I was just kind of like this is I don't know it makes me feel weird but then looking back at it I'm kind of like wow that was literally one of my earliest musical memories was like kind of being anxious from what the music was that was playing so I think it might have been Patricia Ruchin's Forget Me Nots I think that might have been the song yeah that's crazy so I mean I remember that when I was five I'm, I'm a lot older than you I remember that when I was five, because Thriller came out, and I was like, I was legit scared of Thriller. Oh yeah, <laughs> but yeah. this sounds like, like was it like minor key stuff, or I mean, I wonder. I what... think it was because of like there's like these stabs that happen in the chorus, mm. like ding, 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 get oh, me nuts, and I was like, whoa, that kind of makes me feel like kind of spooked out for some reason, and I don't remember for whatever it just made me. And then I think that there was sort of a correlation between that, and then also. I don't know how they used it. Maybe it was like I saw it in a in a movie or something. But I, I definitely remember feeling kind of like when I first heard that, like, mm, it's kind of eerie. Huh. And so was there a lot of music playing around your house growing up? Yeah, a whole lot. My mom um, has a vast vinyl collection. So she like 
just had every kind of thing playing in the house, everything from Barry White to Joni Mitchell to Marvin Gaye to the Supremes to, you know, Delphonics. She loved the Delphonics. So, yeah, it was it was kind of just all the time. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a good good way to grow up. And I, I understand yeah. your parents were not musicians, but did you start to get the feel that you wanted to make music early on? Yeah, I feel like that was one of the things that I secretly thought I wanted to do for a really long time, but I never really could admit it to myself. It's almost like you're in, you know, when you like know something about yourself, but you don't want to admit it. I think that was kind of my outlook on music was I wanted to be singing. I wanted to be dancing. I wanted to like do all of that, but I was far too shy um, and still actually deal with that today. Feeling kind of like a little bit of a, imposter syndrome of some sorts just because like I don't know you know it's it, it takes a lot of confidence to to put yourself out there especially like from a physical standpoint and I think that that's why I gravitated towards making the music for such a long time before I even started to think about performing um, in my life at least um, it was a pseudo kind of dream but I, I I didn't I didn't always I don't think I was always truthful with myself about it were your parents um, early on, did they encourage you in, in terms of music and in terms of playing or discovering how to play? My mom definitely did. Um, she was really um, nurturing about it and was like, oh yeah, well, if you want to take lessons, you should take lessons. And so I, I started taking flute lessons at seven and then I was lucky enough to have a, an incredibly creative and talented teacher, this guy named Greg Patillo, who ended up actually being like a YouTube star, one of the first YouTube stars. And he did this thing called the beatbox flute. And um, it was just kind of like, whoa, you know, this guy's like beatboxing while playing flute, like the Mario theme song and like Flight of the Bumblebee and all of that. And so like, I feel like I kind of credit him also in some ways uh, in sort of inspiring that creative element of what I was doing while also teaching me a lot of like important classical music and, and at least like the idea of, practicing and rehearsing being sort of an important element. Why the flute? Well, actually, yeah, the flute was because uh, of Aladdin. So I was a really, I was really into movies as a kid and Aladdin, there's a scene where there's like a gourd instrument that was being played. And I thought, oh, this is just like, like for whatever reason, I thought that was a flute and I could just say that that was a flute, even if it wasn't. And I sort of got in my head that I wanted to do that for whatever reason, watching Aladdin and then Honestly, from there on, my mom was like, okay, well, let's try it out. And so that was, she, I guess, trusted my instincts because I was very, I don't know. I think I was from a very young age, very kind of just like if I felt something, I would just kind of like say it. And I think my mom was pretty embracing of that. That's awesome. That's really great to have from a parent. Yeah, definitely. Because, yeah, there's so many situations where you hear about people just like being not into music because of, you know, their parents or, you know, people telling them they can't do it at a young age. So... I certainly feel blessed to have that. Yeah. So did you continue to kind of learn and play throughout your childhood? And as you were discovering your own taste in music, were you continuing to to pick up other instruments and starting to kind of explore more broadly music? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I was, while my mom was playing all of the music that she was playing, I was certainly just discovering all of my own music. And I mean, I still think about the first three CDs that I ever owned and they were it was like an R. Kelly CD, a little Bow Wow CD and then a Creed CD okay. uh, The Human Clay and those are the first and then I also had an Isley Brothers CD and I don't know I feel like 
that was such a funny cross section of what I was listening to at the age of eight or nine. I don't know. I didn't really think about like I liked rock. I liked rap, like Busta Rhymes. I was really into Busta Rhymes and DMX, and I loved that kind of stuff. And then I feel like it took me several years, but then when I was probably in my teens, I was like I became a pretty heavy jazz listener, and I always loved pop music too. I think as well. So just yeah, I think my taste was just always kind of gravitating towards whatever specific thing I liked, you know. And were you starting to make music in your teenage years before you headed off to college? I know I know in college you you did, but yeah, a little bit. I mean, it was it wasn't it wasn't really until sophomore year of college that I actually started to truly just like make productions and kind of start to really explore that world. Before that, I was really just an instrumentalist. I, I played flute and saxophone in high school. I was in the jazz band. And then my freshman year of college, I would go to the jazz jam sessions. And, and um, we had a pretty like decent crowd and kind of thing in my, in my college. And that was sort of how I got introed into the band that I would eventually be in um, in college. Um, that was sort of like a regionally touring band. But yeah, it wasn't really until sophomore to junior year that I started dabbling in kind of actually producing music and making full songs. And at that point, you saw music still as like something you just did because it was fun. Because I know you were going to college to study international affairs. It seems like you had yeah. you had other plans long long term. Definitely. I mean, I just like similarly, just I just had no idea how people made money doing music, and I, I just felt like, well, you know, I. I'm not even that good at saxophone, you know, like I, I was kind of coming from it from the perspective of being like literally just like, you know, John Coltrane or somebody like Chris Potter or like Joshua Redman or somebody like I'm not that level of saxophone. And I think that that was what I had in my mind where I was like, okay, if I literally can't revolutionize this instrument, what am I doing? You know? And I feel like that to me was kind of like, well, this is, I mean, like, I know I can play stuff that people like, so let me just like do this thing and and be in this reggae band and like, and have fun with it while I can. But I just, I just never saw myself being capable of like, cause, cause theory was always so hard for me. You know, theory was just not intuitive and it took a sort of level of discipline that I just wasn't interested in at the time. And I think that was what I thought was a blockade to my career in music because I just was like, okay. And then that's right around the same time that I started messing around with productions and like making beats and doing all of that. And that was just really fun and exciting to me. So I just followed that passion kind of in an earnest way. And then it obviously, you know, seven years later kind of brought me into where I'm at now. But yeah, it was really just sort of a thing where I was like, well, this is just more fun, you know? Mm-hmm. So I started to make full kind of productions and remixes and things like that. Do you remember how you got into the production angle? Yeah. There was a singer named um, Haile Supreme. Shout out Haile Supreme. He's actually still a friend of mine, but he was a singer and rapper and instrumentalist. And we first collaborated on a couple of songs because he, he was a little older than me in college and he was like oh man like you should start getting into beats or something like that and I was like oh yeah like how what's that what's that all Mm -hmm. about and he was like oh like I I use this thing called Fruity Loops and then I started using that and got a crack of it or I think I might have actually bought it it was only like $90 at the time and not only but it was like like some of these uh, you know they're like hundreds and thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. sometimes but um 
yeah. So I downloaded that and I, I liked it and started making stuff for him. But um, it was really just like I was trying to make beats for this guy because I felt like he was really like on something different. And, and I, I, I just liked that. I wanted to be a part of something that wasn't conventional in the music world, I guess. And do you remember what kind of inspiration you were drawing from in terms of beats? Because I feel like anyone can download that kind of software, but to actually make something True. usable, like you got to have oh, some well, approach. <laughs> people think it's it's some sort of like thing, but I was coming at it from strictly just a musical standpoint, and it took it took me literally another two years to even get like a beat to sound really fat, you know, and like and really slap. Because yeah, it's not. It's definitely not a always an intuitive process unless you've literally gone to audio engineering school and I I feel confident enough that like I could go head to head with like a person who does that you know and went to school for it but it took me literally you know six years to even like be like oh yes compression reverb you know delays like right. understanding how to properly use them and all these things and like that that just takes a lot of time and 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 people can explain it to you but I just wanted to make stuff that sounded big and cool. So I was learning, but it was several years later that I really made something I think that would be become something that was like kind of different and unique and, and truly interesting. Your music that you're putting out now sounds like a combination of all the things you talked about before about jazz, soul, <laughs> you talked about R&B and Motown and hip hop. I mean, you have a little bit of everything. Was that all like that big amalgamation? Was that present early on or is that something that's evolved over time? Oh man. I mean, I loved, I've always been so into the idea of like being in a rap rock jazz group you know what I mean like I, I feel like that was like the big thing to do when I was a kid it was like oh I'm gonna be in a rock rap jazz group and we're gonna like have like instrumentalists and then rappers and then like like guitars you know and it was like it was just like that was like a whole thing Sounds especially cool. in high school like yeah it was great right but like we were all kids and like couldn't actually play very well so it was like you know we could we could just noodle like any person who noodles on instruments but I think that was always a really big thing that that interested me and i just had no idea how to write songs you know that was that was something that really came much later for me and and i think there was just something that sort of snapped at some point for me where i was like oh i understand these melodies i understand these vocal inflections i understand like intuitively what's going on here based on just hearing tons and tons and tons and tons of music and yeah i think it just took time for me to to really develop in that space just just because like I I wasn't looking at it from writing songs I just wanted to make a a group where all the genres were just one thing you know and and I think that like that in essence is sort of this funny I think of it as a funny trope now because it's not like that's that's not how music works mm -hmm. it doesn't good music doesn't work in genres it just works in how the song is written what exactly you're trying to do you know and and how you decide to put the the song together from an instrumental perspective. There's so many different ways and levels that you have to think about it outside of genre. Um, and I think that back in the seventies they were doing that, you know, that's not a new thing. It's yeah. just, there's just this sort of like, I don't, I don't want to say infantile, but just like a younger kind of way of thinking where it's like, I just want to make something that's like new, you know, and like 
it's it's certainly possible, but I think you just have to like open your mind up to it and 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 not feel um, like oh well that's rap or oh that's jazz or oh that's rock. It's just music, you know. Yeah. And think about how you want to be intentional with what you're doing when you're making the music. Yeah, it's interesting because I know you you grew up in the age of you know, being able to use computers to find information to make music. And a Mm -hmm. lot of these programs are pushing us to genres, you know? (laughs) I know it's so, I mean, it's so tropey, man. I swear to God, I, I get asked to do like these like things where people are kind of like, Oh, you could, you can get like this rap pack and this like beat pack. And you're just like, guys, like, I mean, it's great. It's really nice utility to have these different sounds, but like people think it's just like a hack where you can just kind of, Oh, I'm gonna make this sound because now I have the somebody type beat, right. and it's like, it's just not. <laughs> well, and if it's you just d- funny, I if, mean, if you do yeah. that, it's probably not going to be super interesting, right? Like you have to follow yeah. your own your own inspiration. You got to follow your own, and and maybe and maybe that happens through using one of those packs, but it's not like a, yeah. I mean, it's just we're in a capitalist world, so people want to make money and. They got to market their, their products, you know, so. (laughs) And so, okay. So you're, you're in college in DC and, uh, playing in a band, but also doing some production and studying. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like you were, you were pretty busy. It was, was there any point at, at, during that college experience when things started to become more clear for you music wise? I remember when I studied abroad, a junior year of college, I, I studied abroad in London for seven months. That, I think, was a really a huge eye-opening experience for me because I had just downloaded a SoundCloud and I had started to record music a little bit and I had these flute harmonies that I had made where I just like had stacked maybe 12 to 15 flutes and they did this kind of cool like chordal progression type of thing and I would send that around to just like people who were on SoundCloud who were popping or had sort of a big profile because back then SoundCloud was like sort of a real thing, you know, it was sort of like a, I mean, it is still important, but I feel like it wasn't as, it's a lot more important back then than it, than it was now. It's like about maybe 2014. And yeah, I sent them to two, I sent them a lot of people, but I, I had gotten in touch with two people in particular, um, this German Chilean producer named Flacco, and then this kind of big time, like, pop writer, musician, M&E-K, who's, um, yeah. he's really big in the UK and kind of does his thing, but he, he asked me to play flutes on a song of his that came out called In Your Clouds, and I played a flute solo on that song, and then Flacco, I also played flutes on some of his music, so like, I just sent, that was sort of my first kind of like sessions, you know, and like, or mm-hmm. like, kind of collaborative experiences, and that, I felt, was a very um, informative kind of period for me because I was like oh wow like I can't believe I just worked with these artists they're like they do this full time you know they they can make it work for themselves somehow and I was just so curious as to like how they did that I still had no idea but I was kind of, they were two of the first people that I was like wow okay they live comfortably you know they live their normal lives and and they're making music so I guess junior year was probably the period where I was like okay I don't know how I could make this work. I don't know how to make money, but I know that people are doing that somewhere. So like <laughs> like maybe I can figure that out, you know. How how did you build those your network in those days? Like how did you even find those people? How did you get them to pay attention to you? Like how how did that evolve? Like I said I had that flute thing I recorded and I would just send it around. It was pretty kind of wild. Like I I definitely spent a lot of time on it, but I just made these like 
this acapella of flutes and I just sent it around to so many people. And so it just most started the getting time, around. It just got around. It just got around. So that that's how I met Flacco. That's how I met M and E K. I met this guy named Zach Abel, who's still kind of a big artist in the UK. Uh, this group called Bondax that was also very large. Like a, they were like an electronic duo. So like I would just kind of like get in circles that way, and like that was like my first sort of shoe into the music industry in some ways. But it was sort of like not really a shoe and it was sort of like a sidestep because I just didn't, I didn't have a manager. I didn't have any type of representation or any type of like, I was just kind of like, Hey, I make music and I play flute, but I wasn't even really singing at that point. I was just kind of like making beats and, and, you know, playing flute and saxophone and putting this flute and the saxophone over the beat and just kind of messing around. So it was, um, I guess, I guess that was kind of just a learning curve for me. It was just like figuring out how to, find out what I wanted to do. I was still very much in, in the early early stages of that. That's really cool. And I know that that led to other opportunities. And it sounds like you started doing remixes. And I know that you did a remix of one of Billie Eilish's songs in 2015. And it sounds like that was just continuing to work. Did it feel like it was working for you? Yeah, yeah, it definitely did. I mean, I, I just was like, okay, cool. She's great. And her <laughs> brother, they, they hit me up. And uh, yeah, it's really crazy because they were both kind of just super young and they just liked my remix of, because I, because so the first big remix that I ever did was this one of uh, Zach Abel, who, who's a big singer in the UK or like kind of in his own right. And that song kind of was like getting big on SoundCloud. And then I guess Billy and Phineas found that song and we're like, yo, this guy's such a crazy producer. We got to get him to do a remix of our song, Ocean Eyes. And that was really it. And then it was me, this guy, Astronomy, and Black Bear, who uh, is also an artist. And we all did these remixes of of Ocean Eyes. And I was kind of like, wow, okay. Like, and I, I didn't, I didn't really get paid because I was just like, they just hit me up, and I just didn't really know. But like, it was my remix. So like, I was like, cool, this is my remix, and it's out, and it's. I think that was literally my first song on Spotify. And from there, she started to blow up and they asked me to basically like kind of give over my my rights to it and I was like, "Cool." And then they they bought the the song from me and that was like my first kind of like, "Whoa, you know, I just yeah. made some money." <laughs> like, all right. And a cool piece of art too, right? I mean, true. Like, true. You know? No, I mean Awesome. Yeah, I guess I'm just explaining it from the perspective of like I don't know what I, like I was yeah. I was working in real estate and I was just like was trying to figure it out and um, but yeah it, it was definitely like fun because I felt like I could just totally be myself with my production like I got super wacky with it and it was just really fun so yeah shout out Billie Eilish right. <laughs> <laughs> Shortly thereafter, you reached the part in the movie where you got to quit your job to work on music full time, which yeah. is like literally, a, you know, it's a movie scene. Can you it tell us about what is. like led up to that? Yeah. So that period where I had done the remix for Billy was I was still working at a desk job and had been doing that for a while. But then the year before, well, I guess right when I put that out, I was still in D.C. and uh, I was working at this real estate company and 
that song was starting to go and I was like, oh, this is awesome, blah, blah, blah. But then meanwhile, I was still working at this job and like I'd been there for almost a year and I knew that they were going to try to fire me, but I was going to try to leave. But then they fired me anyway before I could even leave. <laughs> so then I was like, all right, well, this sucks. But I had also been looking for a job up in New York that was doing a similar thing. And so I basically moved to New York within that three to four month period. I, I'd been fired. So I was like kind of just kind of bopping around for a couple months and then luckily moved to New York and then got this job and did the orientation and basically worked at that job for a whole nother year after the Billy song had had come out um and you're still making music actively during yeah that and i'm time. still actively making music i'm still like i think at that period i was i was finally starting to sing too which was like a whole or i'd been singing for a couple years but i um i was finally starting to figure out how to record my voice so that it could sound good on recordings because i that was a whole process for me and like there's i think there's a toro and moi cover that i did as well that I feel like their vocals were recorded really badly, but I think that was like my first attempt and I was like, okay, this is okay. And so that was a whole period of time that took about a year, whereas writing a ton of music, recording a ton of music and also working a day job. And, um, and then I had also um, met my manager as well who lived in New York and we met up because of Billy, because Billy's manager had told him this my my current manager about me because he was a record label guy uh a and r guy and um so then he was like oh i love what you're doing like i like your name you know he's like i like cautious clay that's cool and we met up for coffee and i honestly didn't trust him at first i was like this guy seems like like he seemed like a vampire you know he was so like kind of <laughs> like a like he wore all black he lived in new york city and i was just like just like this kind of you know midwest guy from like you know ohio who moved to <laughs> you know DC and I just didn't really know what I was dealing with but uh, we met and we kept in touch for a long period of time and I just kept sending him music because I was just like okay this isn't like he's not going to steal this you know and he just we just sort of like started to trust each other a little bit more and more and um, eventually I started to actually like craft what would become blood type with him um, just kind of sending him ideas back and forth and he he's really great because he's doesn't play any instruments but he's got an incredibly good ear for things that I don't really think about in the context of music and and just like the average listener in some ways and I don't want to say that in like a condescending way it's just like sometimes like my default is just very extreme or it was at that time like I was really into like Eric Dolphy as a saxophone mm-hmm. player if that like mm-hmm. gives you perspective mm-hmm. about where my head was mm-hmm. so I just was kind of like, okay, like maybe I'll sing it this way, you know, and and so um, I started to do that, and then like at that point, um, I was like, okay, wow, well, like I'm 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 at this real estate job, it sucks, but I'm making a little bit more money doing this. At that time, I was like basically just trying to get people to buy ads for this real estate, like it was like management companies. I was selling ads to management companies, and then they would buy them, and then. It was just it was a straight sales job, mm-hmm. but but um, I just run around with like a bag of cookies around New York City, just like handing out flyers and all that. And but I was I was persistent, and um, I made enough to at least quit for a couple months. And I was like, okay, like if I'm gonna do this, I gotta just like do this, you know, because it was hard to like split my time between both of those things. Yeah. And uh, the good thing about sales is that you can make a lot of money 
but you can't like you have no safety net. So I just I I, I made some money and I quit. And uh, a couple months later, I put out Cold War, and that just sort of started to do its thing. And then I put Joshua Tree out a couple months after that, and then another month after that, I put out the single Blood Type, and then the album with that. And then I played my first show in February 2018. So wow. That's pretty awesome. When and why did you start using Cautious Clay? So there's also a period of time where I was DJing in college. I was sort of like fake DJing, you know, like had some like CDJs kind of thing Mm -hmm. and would DJ and then make remixes and things. And I felt like my music was super, super, super detailed. Like I was extremely detailed about how I made my music. And I wanted to think of a title that or a name that felt like, okay, this is this is detailed. Like I'm very detailed, but I'm like, I'm cautious. I'm specific. I don't know. I just felt like, okay, cautious clay sounds better than particular clay, or I don't know. I was just kind of <laughs> like, and there was this whole period of time where every every DJ was kind of like naming themselves after famous people in some way that was like kind of like my friend whose name is Lane Sally. He was Lean Quatifa, and there was this guy named Frames Janko, and all this kind of stuff, and even like. Tom Trues, I think, or Tom Trues, I think is his name. But so it was sort of a little bit of a lift from Cassius Clay, who's Muhammad Ali yeah. as well. Um, certainly a reference, but I feel like I also kind of just embodied that. Like, I don't know, I'm, I'm a very kind of like, my, my default is very insular. Mm-hmm. I'm a very insular person. I, I, I don't like to like tell people all about what I'm doing all the time. I'm not like a very like out. As a default, I'm not very out. I can I can become that, but I uh, my intuition is just to be kind of like reserved in some ways. Not because I'm prude; it's just like my personality. Let's talk about your music when you when you started because I think the way you've evolved as an artist is interesting and your releases have been really cool. I I, want to ask about this kind of space in your music. I feel like Mm. there's like a jazz sensibility to your music that really respects the idea of space. And and I might be jumping to conclusions as like a jazz fan, but especially when you're combining all these genres, you expect music, especially these days, that hits every beat. You know what I mean? Like you hear pop music, you hear hip hop, you hear even country. I mean, all music, it seems at this point is trying to hit you with everything in the first five seconds, you know, and I feel like your music doesn't, doesn't do that at all. And that makes it a lot more unique. Is that a conscious thing? Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's an interesting point. I, I really do love that idea of space. I think it's so important. Um, and I know that whole theory about, oh yeah, if you don't have like vocals in the first 15 seconds, it's going to get skipped. And I, I think that there's probably some stupid thing with the algorithm that might determine that. But I also feel like it depends on your fans and, and who they know you to be and, and what they can expect from you and, and all of this. So I think it's really up to the artists to really create that narrative for themselves in some ways. Yeah, but, I agree. I totally agree on that point. Yeah. How do you approach your tracks now when you edit, produce? Like, how do you create a song and how do you improve it as you go? It really depends um, uh, where the, I guess, the inspiration is coming from. But a lot of times, 
I'll think about how it sounds and what it's missing and, and sort of like what I feel makes it good. It's just sort of an intuition that I, I kind of will make for myself. Um, yeah, usually it's dynamics. Usually it's related to dynamics. Like I, I like songs that have dynamics because, um, and, that, and that can be as simple as just like a piano and a voice, you know, a piano and a voice and you can just sort of work around that aspect of it or it can just be like something super fat and super heavy and like kind of like a lot going on like you know like a song like dying in the subtlety is just very there's a lot of uh a lot of drums fat vocals you know but there is sort of this understanding of space as well where it's like you know if you're gonna have fat drums you don't you don't want to have maybe the drums can sort of imply a lot of the melody too in some ways. And, and I sort of try to think about that in the context of, of Dying of the Subtlety where it's just the drums and then there's a bass line that's playing and then there's this little guitar lick that's like kind of inferring some of the melody that I'm singing, you know, or like kind of like bring, brings it into a space where it, it all makes sense. Some people use things like counterpoint to like, determine that for themselves if you're like a kind of a theory guy or theory person. But for me, I just, I try to, it's, it is, I feel like it's very intuitive because I know I, I have very specific tastes when it comes to jazz and when it comes to like music that I think feels good, you know? And, and I say music, not in the context of like writing the music, but more in the context of like the space and like how people are are, are crafting whatever they're trying to say, you know, when you're taking a really good horn solo or when you, you know, or where Quincy Jones like produces out these epic kind of stanzas or, or kind of productions. Yeah. I think, I think it's intuitive and very much, um, case by case for me. Now that you're doing singing, you know, on everything, do you start with lyrics typically or, or, or does that vary as well? I mean that does vary as well. I think I think I'll, sometimes it'll just start with um, with a guitar part or or with the drums or or just with like a yeah like a very simple kind of like loop that I have in my head or, you know on on piano or or on the voice. It, it does it does truly depend. Like sometimes it'll just be uh, a concept. And I've actually said this a few times, but there's a song on my album that's called Box of Bones that was inspired from my girlfriend who's in med school brought home a box of bones and she had to like go through them all in her anatomy class and I was like wow we are just all a box of bones aren't we you know <laughs> and so I sort of was inspired by that and and wrote a whole song about it in in some ways but yeah I can't even remember how I started the song to be honest I think I think I just started singing and I just layered it a bunch of times and I laid in the guitar part that I, that I was feeling. So, yeah, the reason I asked is because like you started with, you know, remixes. So you started with an existing song and then you kind of yeah. made it better or different. I'm just curious if that held over in terms of how you create music now mm. or, or what the, what similarities it, there are, if any. It definitely had early on in, in my career as, as it stands. But I think now I try to, um, I'm, I'm sort of always exploring different ways of creating. And I think, I think having drums is nice, but I think also sometimes like just starting with my voice is, is or like the, 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 I think now I think a lot more in terms of concepts because I, I, I know that I'm singing and I know that that's partially why people are drawn to what I do is because of my voice. So I very much now think in terms of writing and concepts. And I think that that's sort of what has made my writing stronger and, and sort of my perception of 
of what I want to do. Because I think making a beat, man, I've made I've been making beats for you know nine years since I was twenty seven, and not, I'm not even that old or long, but you know what I mean. Like it's just like I've been making beats for a long time, and and I feel like that can just sort of make itself at this point. I wanted to ask about kind of like the breaking through as an artist, uh, as a solo artist, really, because you you mentioned that you did your first show in 2018. Your um, trajectory has been like crazy. I, I'm sure it feels like a roller coaster for you. But yeah, do you take any particular view on how you break through as an artist in this like changing kind of technology, music environment, um, or do you just try to like? make music and not worry about it. Can you can you just make music and not worry about it or do you have to think about like, you know, how do I break through on Spotify and how do I make sure I'm doing social media well and all that? Like what what's your thought yeah, process? That's probably one of my biggest anxieties is just like that whole aspect of it because I mm-hmm. feel like the music is is always going to happen for me, but I think that I think that, that 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 aspect of it is sort of what I think gets in the way of my process because I think for me when I live my life and when I just sort of like experience my life it's a lot easier to come up with things and, and sort of like be spontaneous and and whatnot but yeah like I said my default has never been um, self-promotion and I know that I have to do that so I, I do it but it's just kind of like it's, it is another kind of aspect of being an artist in, in the 2010s 2020s and so on but I, I also try to try to understand like when I need to just kind of be on my own you know I, I try to like regulate that for myself yeah it seems like as like a, a generally introverted person which is what my conclusion that, you, that I'm drawing based on what, how you described yourself you probably need to yeah. make sure you're not constantly <laughs> you know out there oh yeah no I mean and I, I feel like I'd rather like I'm pretty introverted but I also would rather just like be around people um, than be online. I yeah. think that that, and that's why I live with 11 other people. So do you really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I do. Yeah. That's so amazing. I, uh, I think that's, I just like to have people sort of around. I have my own room and stuff, but it's nice to have people around sometimes. Um, especially when they're not talking to you about your music, you know? Yeah. Makes sense. And I know you've released uh, a single in November, Dying in the Subtlety. Mm-hmm. Do you have a ton of music that you're just kind of weighing how and when to release? Are you approaching that cautiously yeah, by yeah. personality? I am. I am. I, well, I, I have an album that I've been working on for probably about a year now um, since the tour ended back in November or December, December 2019. Um, so I have a lot of music, but um, I... I I just am trying to like get it all finished up and that's sort of, yeah, like you're saying, like the process, I've never thought it would take this long to make an album to be honest with you, but it has, it's taken a year. I probably could have been done sooner, but I think that I wanted to make it better. So it sort of makes sense to me why I think, and I think also it was sort of like this distracting element of like feeling like you're like on social media and you're like putting music out all the time. And I I did put out like, like four songs this year, so mm-hmm. I wasn't mm-hmm. I wasn't totally gone, but I I definitely wasn't nearly as present probably as I was in 2019. In terms of the the live experience, did you imagine ever like 
going on tour and performing live night after night in front of people? Like, was that part of your, what you imagined your music career to look like? Oh man, to be honest with you, I did not. I did not. I mean, I thought that'd be cool, but I didn't think that I would have that many fans. I didn't think that I could, like the thought of me playing in front of 1,500 people in New York City still feels like, wow, I did that. Like, I can't believe I did that, you know? I probably sort of dreamed for myself, but I just didn't think that I would be able to do it or would be like comfortable doing it. And and I guess I am. I guess I surprised myself a little bit. It must be a fulfilling feeling to to be able to to do that after all the yeah, years of yeah. kind of you know working on the stuff that you were describing. Definitely, I, I've had a lot of friends tell me, like even people who I've known since you know seven, ten years ago. They had no idea that I could sing. So, you know, that was that to give you perspective. Like I wasn't, I just wasn't even, for lack of a better term, vocal about my, mm-hmm. my process. Well, that's cool. That's a great evolution. Um, how have you been spending the past, I don't know, however, however many months it's been now off the road and out of public exactly. view, I guess. Um, how you've been yeah. spending all this time? I've just been, I mean, I, I've been taking a lot of time to just like, think about this whole process and, and work obviously on music and videos and random stuff like that. But, uh, um, I was in Massachusetts for a large part of the year, um, with my girlfriend's family and we were just kind of bopping around. And then we went to see my mom and my dad, um, who lived separately, but, um, we said, once well, he saw my family for a bit. And then, um, I got back to New York probably in August because then that's when, um, Olivia, my girlfriend, she started med school. So uh, she moved up to Harlem and then I've been in Brooklyn and we've just been sort of doing the distance thing because, I mean, Harlem is basically up Westchester, <laughs> right. uh, upstate New York. So it's a little bit of a haul. But yeah, I've, I've just been kind of like watching different shows. Like that's that's in my big, big thing is just like I get a lot of inspiration from visual media um, and sort of trying to like do that and hang out with my roommates from time to time. And I went to LA once uh, to do some work, but, but, uh, but yeah, mostly just been in New York. Music wise, have you been listening to music? Anything you discovered or been listening to? There was this random band that I found called, uh, Hocus Pocus or maybe they're Focus. I can't remember what the name of the band okay. is. Uh, but I, I found them, they're like an old band, but they've, they actually are still putting out music. They've been putting out music since the seventies and they put out an album this year, which I thought was kind of funny, but I like, I like them. Yeah. Focus. Hocus focus. The band's called. All right. Yeah. Hocus, hocus, focus, focus. I like that. Otherwise I've, I don't know. I've just been sort of listening to a lot of kind of older jazz. Oh, there's this guy named Tizo touchdown. Who was really interesting. There's a song called strong friend that I really like, but yeah, otherwise I've just been listening to, Sort of like Lester Young and Dexter Gordon and some Claude Debussy. Uh-huh. So, nice. Yeah. Awesome. A little, little bit of everything. That sounds pretty good. Do you have Do you have more collaborations in the works? I know you've you've been collaborating a little bit with. Uh, you recently worked with John Mayer, and you've done some collaborations. Is that part of your your plan for I don't know the next year or so? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think. Um, I think there's definitely some collaborations that I want to work on. I mean, there's, there's, I think there might be one or two features on my album, but otherwise I'm sort of 
doing this this thing too. That's like I, I just have so much music that I have to finish, to be honest. So it's kind of like collaborating is is I have been collaborating in the past couple months, but um, I'm sort of just trying to really really just focus on this album because it's sort of been something I'd wanted to do for a while and the thought of it actually happening is just really just sounds so appealing so (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's a process yeah it is people think it's like oh you know just put it out and then it's like okay but there's just so many things that you have to prepare to like get it to a point where you're comfortable and and that's kind of where I'm at and and it's not like a thing that you can just wake up and finish sometimes it's got to like give it some space and and whatnot, and and I and I feel like doing that has sort of been awakening to me in some ways, like realizing that it's it's not always as simple as it seems. That's a good lesson, and well, I'm looking forward to hearing it. And thanks for hanging out with us and telling us your story. No problem, no problem, RJ, for sure. And now here's Cautious Clay performing agreeable. Stolen Moments and Joshua Tree. But I want falls shorter than perfect, but better than earnest. Do better next time when your life wasn't worth it. Don't wanna be nice, I just wanna be right. I don't wanna break bread. How much better would it be if we had to start fights? Doing anything and everything. If you start a fire, stop, drop it wrong I don't need your thoughts, I don't wanna know But you're offering, don't need posturing There's no doubt in my mind, there's no worries on God If you're taking my side, I don't wanna know I'm entitled at night If you're taking my side I don't wanna know why I don't wanna know why Money is cheap So I talk too much Low hanging fruit So I pack a lunch Every time that I press my luck I know it's worth more than
Thanks for joining us. Past, Present, Future Live is hosted and produced by RJB. The executive producers are Adam Kaplan and Kirsten Cluthy. Production, editing, mixing, and original theme music by Brad Stratton. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. Please visit OsirisPod.com to find more content and deepen your connection to the music you love. 